So let me let me ask one other question. It comes to mind while while we're on this topic. I've I've, I've got to ask it because I'm I'm sure um, I want to hear your thoughts, Chris, as a consultant in this space, and and Val, your thoughts in terms of like if you're advising an organization in terms of um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm not I'm not speaking on behalf of any of the major lean conferences, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but as an attendee and as somebody who has spoken at these conferences, it is hard not to notice that um, if uh, 13% of uh, Americans are black, you don't see 13% black faces on stage speaking. You don't see 51% women on stage. Mm -hmm. So defining that gap, that inequity, Mm -hmm. is easier than like the rest of the thought process of how to and how aggressively or what actions can and should be taken to look into that that clear gap. I don't know what to do beyond identifying the gap. Right, right. Shit. I, I, I can I can jump in here. Please. Um, part of it, I think, is um, who is elevated, who is trained, who is called to the front. So I think in those spaces, here, where where we will begin, where we will begin is with uh, perhaps one or two, right? We'll begin with one or two and they will be tokens and they will probably feel like tokens, right? And so there's a lot of pressure on a token. Does that make sense? That is the the one kind of representative. So I can't make a mistake, right? If Mm -hmm. I get out there, then I represent everybody that's gonna come behind me. And if I make a mistake, there's not gonna be another another chance. Yes. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but see, but that's part of the privilege I have is if I go up there and I stink as a speaker, people are gonna Mm -hmm. say, Mark was a bad speaker. It doesn't reflect. Well, that was a mistake to invite white men to speak. Right, exactly. So right. I, and, that's, and that doesn't occur to me. That's my blind spot. Right. So thank you for sharing that perspective. Right. Well, but but so what I'm saying is, so one of the ways that we think about getting around some of that is we do um, things in um, in cohorts, right? You um, when we hire in the academy, you bring in a set of people instead of just one person. Um, um, when you bring in speakers, maybe you bring in a set of speakers. You give them opportunities to practice, to talk with each other. You um, you make sure that they have mentors. Um, you make sure that they have coaching. Um, you invest in them for the long haul, right? Um, you become a, a sponsor and a supporter, an ally, um, a coach. Um, and I think, too, that you um, one of the other things that we see in literature in the in the scholarship on this is that when women when there are uh, more than one woman um, in a diverse team that women are more likely to speak the 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 more isolated a woman is the more quiet she is likely to be um, and so we can see similar kinds of outcomes with people of color. It's not always the case. It's not always the case. There are sometimes when a, a singular individual can rise to the top and be very outspoken. So these things are not prescriptive, but they are observational. We can see those kinds of things in observation. So how do you change that? 
Well, you need to have internships and you need to make sure that you don't fire your intern because they're five minutes late or because of whatever. That means that you're having conversations with this person about what it means to, to do this and what it means to try. That means when people are quiet, you ask them to speak up and you encourage them and you give them a chance to make a mistake and the mistake is not deadly. That is one of the privileges of white malehood. It's not for everybody. There are white men who make a deadly mistake at the beginning. And here I'm not, I know I'm using the term deadly, um, but I mean career-wise, right? Not physically. Um, and, yeah. Right, right. And so so I think that that's part of it. When I, in, in one of my previous positions, I felt like there was an unspoken rule. So sometimes people would share things with me. I wouldn't know that I, w I shouldn't repeat them. I thought if you're telling me, I should tell everybody. It's my personality, not a secret, but a strategy, right? So how do you get a promotion where you go on the job market, right? So, you know, you establish your, your, your um, value out on the job market and then somebody here will say, you're great and we're gonna wanna keep you. So we can we create competition. Well, I repeated this to other people. I didn't know that I shouldn't have because it was really private, but that person never came to me to say anything to me. They just stopped talking to me. It was so perplexing that I didn't understand what happened for years, right? So one of the things that I say, um, um, we do this workshop on um, building inclusive research environments. It's, it's called IRIE, which I kind of like because it's kind of, you know, funky Caribbean. But, um, but and when you're building an inclusive research environment, one of the things that you have to do is make um, implicit norms explicit, right? So if there are things that you are doing quietly, that you would have conversations with someone over coffee or what have you, I'm not saying all of that goes away, but you got to make those things more explicit. What are the norms of my lab? What are the norms of my office? What are the norms of the department? You have to pull sometimes people aside and not say, well, they should have known. Instead, you say, I don't know if you were aware of this. Right. Um, and you help people to navigate because part of the reason why some people are perpetually privileged is that they have they have knowledge of the inside game. And if you don't have knowledge of the inside game, then what you really think is, boy, if I just work harder and, 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 I, and I do more and I get more degrees, that's what's going to protect me. And that is not necessarily the case. Um, so part of it is really those allies and those sponsors who are going to help you to to understand and interpret what you're hearing. And I think we're gonna need that both sides, but it's most important for the women and the people of color who have typically been on the margins. That's, I think, how to change that space. It's no different in the academy, or if I study Congress. Congress is 85% white and male. I mean, that's astounding. That's That represents the entire nation. Mm -hmm. And so how do we change that? Right. These are sticky. These are sticky problems. They're sticky problems, but they're not impossible ones. And there are strategies out there already about how to do it. Mm -hmm. I was just um, thinking about something I've heard Val say, you know, who's not in the room, who's right. not at the table. And so as you look at, uh, you know, lean steering committees, as you look at Kaizen teams, um, as you look at uh, who's leading the performance huddles um, and who's taking part in that, um, who's, who's underrepresented, who's not, you know, at the huddle, at the table. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, there's all sorts of opportunities when you begin to ask that question and reflect on it. Um, as a consultant, you know, I 
I lead those guys in teams. You know, I help designate who the leaders and co-leaders are uh, for those rapid improvement events. And so, you know, I can begin having that conversation with leadership to say, hey, who, who might we, you know, um, give an opportunity to, uh, to lead? Right. Well, if I may, yeah. then, then because those kinds of conversations are difficult, I mm-hmm. think. So we can think about it right now, but doing it in action. Mm-hmm. And so how might you do that in action when you say, you know, who, who is missing from this table and why are they important? Right. And so um, and part of it is that they, who would bring a valuable perspective that we don't have that is um, instrumental here? Um, I think another thing, um, uh, I, I helped to create an organi- organization where um, uh, there were a lot of, of women who were running the organization. This was undergrads. And boy, they were so intolerant with the, with the, the male student. And he was captain of the football team. He's clearly a leader. But he would not respond to the emails. These girls sent 75 emails, right? They were emailing all the time or texting each other. And they wanted him to be part of this communication stream. And he hated it. He did, He wanted to be the person to come in. You know, when are you making a decision? I hope you make a decision. But I'm not going to do all of the debating. And um, they viewed that as him not showing interest and not being committed. It was a misinterpretation of the moment. But because the girls had power, they kicked them out of the leadership team. That's an unusual kind of circumstance, I think. But it's not so unusual in terms of how we evaluate. And the question that we need to ask, because what I think will often happen, is we'll lock on to something that this person does differently from us, right? And we'll say that that thing is the most important thing to determine the outcome. Mm-hmm. And we'll do it, perhaps, without being aware, that's the implicit kind of bias. Like um, one of the ways that we see it, if, if I may, just really briefly, is that we sometimes see it in classrooms. Again, I have two black sons, so I see how it plays out. And I know that they get noticed for bad behavior. Mm. I mean, they, they are gonna rough house, they're gonna do whatever it is that they do in school. And they will be singled out from time to time. And they're good kids, I'll say that. But they will sometimes be singled out and I will have to go in to say, who else was at the table? How did their, uh, what kind of um, uh, uh, punishment did they receive or what kind of reprimands did they receive? And it will often be the case that the reprimand is different. And, And I will need to bring it to someone's attention because they are unaware. And what I say is that the statistics are telling the story. It's not about you individually, but if I look at the statistics of what happens in public school education, it is that black students are more highly disciplined than white students, um, that they are more likely to be expelled or suspended or to have um, other kinds of consequences. This is not accidental. It adds up, it aggregates from individual acts that people are engaged in without review, without check. And so these are the kinds of things that I think that we need to pay attention to. So maybe it's just one other question on the conference gap, mm-hmm. the inclusion, the diversity and inclusion gap. How quick, I mean, like if, if I were running a conference, well, conferences are happening right now, but a virtual conference, okay. <laughs> I'm starting a new right. podcast and I'm looking right. to get, um, uh, make sure I don't have blind spots and just invite the white males right. that I know and work with most. Right. Or let's say in any settings, like, um, 
because people will balk at the idea of let's say quotas. Like, well, right. Why, you know, so, but but what would you recommend that that I'll personalize it? What what should I do to make sure the people on stage reflect American society? That the mm -hmm. guests that I have out on a podcast reflect society. I'll, I'll give credit. I think one one conference that has at least made good efforts. I don't know their outcomes, but the Lean Startup Week event run by Eric Reese and others. They've made statements, I can find them on their website, saying we value diversity and we we encourage. So how much should we just encourage people of all mm -hmm. um, ethnicities and genders and race and um, you know, all, all elements of diversity? Encourage, like specifically say you are welcome. Mm -hmm. Or how much do we have to like actively go out and network and seek out diversity is it enough to say like hey right. diversity is welcome versus and and again lean startup week i know right. they've made those we are going to mm -hmm. actively right. try very hard to find those people because we know they're out there right right what i mean what what would you recommend well, what, what should i do again all yeah what should no I, I hear you I, I love the question um and I, I love some of the insights that you've already provided so one of them is that um how do we end up with homogenous um, kinds of outcomes? It's because we go to our own networks and our networks are often fairly uh, homogenous. They're filled with people who remind us of ourselves. That's part of why we like them, right? And so, um, so when we go only to our own networks and our networks are not very diverse, these are the, out these are the outcomes that we end up with. One of the things that, that we often hear in engineering or in higher education and in perhaps in nursing or in medical schools all over, is this notion of a pipeline. And, and, and so they're like, oh, we need to build a pipeline. And I'm thinking, no, there's a whole pool out there, right? You, you can find it if you're looking. You have to have some intention. You do have to have some intention. And you have to recognize that oftentimes we, we um, perceive risk to be one-sided so, so that a company will say, well, we're going to take a risk on this person. They may not be ready. And I'll, I'll put it in terms of um, gender. So we've never had a woman in this role before. We're going to take a risk. That means that person is on constant audition, constant audition. But what we don't recognize there is that that individual is also taking the risk because they're walking into a culture that is not necessarily prepared for them, right? They're walking into an existing culture that says, I'm not sure that this new outsider belongs in this space. And so we need to recognize that there's risk taking and there's trust making on both sides of this, right? And so um, there may be some errors. So, so it, I think part of it is networks, part of it is culture. The other thing is that the assets and the talent that you have that is embodied in people who are people of color or or of, of, of or women right the the assets and resources that are embodied in them are not only directed to other women or to people of color these people have lots of ideas and so we need to not pigeonhole people only in talks about race or only let's explore the degree of expertise that that people have i think another thing particularly we find with women one of the things so um we can think about op-eds or promotions or, or the work lean in that so many people read like you know take a chance on yourself bet on yourself uh, oftentimes Women will spend a lot of time, they, they will wait an extra 10 years before they will try to go up for a promotion or try something big. Whereas men, I sit in my own classroom, I used to tell the students, like, um, 
you know, this is your, the best chance you're ever going to have is to speak in a freshman class, right? Because nobody really knows that much. And I know that the guys at the end of the table are behaving as if they do, but you know as much as they do. And it doesn't get easier from here. But it is a, a different kind of relation to the culture and to the space, a different sense of belonging. And so we're going to have to encourage people who may not feel confident to do it. Mm-hmm. So there are, I think, um, uh, for us in higher education, it would be postdocs, there may be internships, there may be fellowships, um, rewards, right? Recognition, those are ways to get people to the table and to elevate them in ways that are meaningful. Um, but I also think then that um, we also have to pay attention to measures. I'm keeping my eye on the time. But um, how, do, how do we measure this? You, you mentioned, um, you know, oh my gosh, how, you know, if we can't set a quota. Well, you know, I've, I've had some thoughts about that. I don't know exactly what the answers are. What I love about Lean is Lean has measures. So I'm expecting that we're going to find some creative ways to get at, um, you know, the pluses and minuses that are helping people move through a system uh, and, you know, in whatever time period as a baseline and that are slowing people down from doing it. We ought to at least be able to figure those variables out, right? Um, but at the end of the day, if you want to change a, a one-way street to a two-way street, you say, that's what we're going to do. There's not a whole lot of conversation about it. And by some um, result of willpower, it gets done. When you say that we're going to move, we're going to have wireless everywhere so that people can use wireless um, technology, you do it. Like there's not a whole lot of conversation about it. This is to me a matter of commitment mm-hmm. and of, of stick-to-itiveness. Right. And, and, and right. yeah. And when you say you're going to increase sales year over year or, you know, reduce right. errors year over year. Right. Um, you uh, put that stake in the ground and you go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and everyone's on board and leadership says, hey, this is what we're going to do. And uh, you fall in line. And you hold people accountable <laughs> right. to it. I mean, what I loved about the safety example, um, that's what I can remember earlier, is that I think the gentleman said zero accidents or something like that. Right. And I imagine, could you ever say zero racism, right? Mm-hmm. Like no racist incidents. Mm-hmm. That is audacious. But what if we could set that as a goal? Then we would we would leverage the resources to get there. Well, that's a wonderful thing about lean. Uh, perfection is what we're striving <laughs> to achieve. <laughs> you know, if you look at um, you mentioned earlier, Chris Paul O'Neill. You know, he's a very uh, important leader. Uh, I was very fortunate to have met him briefly. He was a guest on the podcast here um, years ago. When he set that goal of of saying at uh, at Alcoa when he was CEO, nobody should get hurt at work. You know, the goal was zero. Did they get to zero in his time? No, but I'll guarantee they reduced harm far more significantly than if he had been timid and said, well, let's try to get a 5% reduction every year. Right. You know, kind Mm -hmm. of incrementalism versus saying, A, I mean, I think I've heard him use phrases phrases like uh, moral obligation, but then there was clearly a Mm -hmm. business case. Right. And, and, And business case, not in a, direct way, but in an indirect saying, if we get good at safety, we will have what he called habitual excellence. So injuries mm-hmm. plummeted, stock price soared. But now at the same time, like it was fascinating to hear people he worked with recounting stories. He would tell the accountants, don't ever calculate an ROI on something we installed for safety. He's like, mm-hmm. that, then that kills my moral authority. Mm-hmm. We'll fire mm-hmm. you if you do that, right? So we have this balance of like, yes, it made great business sense, 
but it's it's more of a long term. It's the it's the right, right. thing to do, and there, there's that longer term um, outcome as a business. It seems like that's the connection to uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. Right. I love it. I think that the more obligation piece, it really is measured in commitment. This is bigger than than these other things. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's values, right? What are the values that we adhere to? And, and, and one thing I would suggest that maybe is helpful in, you know, in, in, the, in these issues, um, Mr. O'Neill proved that there were the, the, the false trade-offs of people saying we can't afford safety. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not true. People in healthcare are now showing if anyone would say, well, we can't afford patient safety, false trade-off. Maybe the same thing applies if people say, oh, well, we can't afford diversity, equity, and inclusion. False right. trade-off. Right. Yeah, right. I would agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. And costly. The illusion of that trade-off is so very costly. The problem with it is that it's in the periphery of our vision. And so we don't necessarily see it, but it accumulates and it becomes, it doesn't become less costly over time. And it's even more costly to the people who are, who are um, in those margins. And so, but it's not without cost for the people who are in the, in the majority. It's not right. So you pay me now, you pay me later. So 